Speaking of families, um, this morning we're going to finish our series on the war, the spiritual battle we're in. Remember the thesis of the whole battle is that everything that we face here in the physical, visible realm is influenced by what takes place in the spiritual realm. In other words, there's a cosmic battle going on and it affects everything that happens down here. So we better pay attention to this battle if we want victory here on earth. We talked last week about personal strongholds. How do we approach them and how can God give us victory? And, and I think it's significant we talk about strongholds in the family uh, because the Bible's clearly not silent on it. And so we want to talk about that. But before we try anything, we better pray. So let's do that. Father, thank you for your word that tells us the truth. It reveals to us this war all around us. And I'm so grateful, God, that you also not only help us understand the causes of it, but God, you help us to see the victory we have and how to walk in it. And that's certainly true this morning. Help us, Lord, as those who are part of families to experience a greater freedom. Lord, help us uh, to see maybe areas that the enemy is starting to get a foothold in. And Lord, above all, Lord, help us to see that you are the one who can give us victory if we walk in your ways. And so, God, thank you for that. Holy Spirit, teach us, guide us, give us the power to apply these truths, I pray in your name. Amen. It's probably safe to say you know at least one family that either has fallen apart, is falling apart, or is functioning well below what God intended the family to be. And that family you know might be yours. Some families suffer for many reasons. One, because a relationship maybe between a husband and wife has become paralyzed, and it affects everybody in the home. For some, there's other families hurting because of the rebelliousness of children, which has caused great grief and unrest in their home. Other families are suffering due to some, memories, uh, some members are reaping, unfortunately, a harvest of trouble of the sins caused by the generation ahead of them. It could be your parents or grandparents. For some, it's a blended family. There's multiple relationship interferences as, as, as they bring two families together with children and the challenges of trying to acclimate and get everybody on the same page has created stresses maybe you didn't see coming. But all these problems and more can easily become strongholds. Satan builds to get a grip on our family if we're not careful. Because understand something, Satan and demons are out to prevent your family from being everything God intended your family to be. The tragedy is many families are battling demonic strongholds and they, defight, they instead decide to fight one another. Or they decide the fight is not worth the battle or the grief, so they throw in the towel. Our enemy is in a building boom today in erecting family strongholds. He's been at that a long time. Matter of fact, he built his first stronghold in the first family in history. And he did it right in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Let's look at this first stronghold. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
But the servant said to the woman, You'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it, might, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. It shouldn't surprise us the first family stronghold in history came as a result of the first recorded case of earthly spiritual warfare. Remember we talked about the battle began in the heavenlies when Satan and a third of the demonic realm rebelled against God. And we know from Isaiah and Ezekiel and passages in Matthew that what happened is God judged them, cast them down into earth, and that battle is expanded to the earth. And we see it start here with Adam and Eve. The fall of Adam and Eve and subsequent problems in the family were caused by an attack from this fallen spiritual world. Satan infiltrated the first home and he disrupted it. And his attack caused spiritual deterioration and disruption. And it ultimately began with spiritual ramifications. Adam and Eve's relationship with God was hindered greatly to the degree that they hid they experienced shame for the first time ever because sin entered. But it wasn't just the spiritual ramifications. That spiritual deterioration carried over into relational deterioration. First, the problem was with God. And when the problem's with God, ultimately it's going to carry over and it became a problem between Adam and Eve. We know this sin resulted in a family stronghold because it carried over to the next generation because their kids had all kinds of problems Matter of fact, Cain killed Abel. So you can face, you can trace the first family stronghold to the work of a fallen angel. And you could say that this family breakup can be traced to demonic activity next to destroying you personally as a destruction of the family. What was the method Satan used to infiltrate the family? It's a secret Satan really doesn't want you to know in your home. First, there was a reversal of roles. It's subtle, but the enemy got Adam and Eve to reverse the biblical roles and responsibilities. We could summarize what Satan told Eve, really, with two statements. The enemy whispered to her, you don't need God, and you surely don't need Adam. And she fell for it. Satan got Eve to act independently of God, tempted her to use her own reasoning to reverse God's order. Satan influenced Adam to become a passive male and stand on the sidelines. And so Eve took over the leadership. With the roles reversed, Satan had an open door. And the marriage conflict was a result of a role reversal in the first family. The failure of Eve to remain in her role and the failure of Adam to take his rightful role opened the door to the devil and was a disaster to the family. Now, I understand, as I was preparing and talking with Cindy about this, I'm like, if, if this was to go live on nation, national TV before all the culture, this message right here, I would be hated be beyond belief about what I'm going to share here, but I don't care. The culture doesn't care about my family. I'm going to fight for my family. I hope you are the same way, and I can't think of a better word to follow than God's word. And so we're going to follow what his says. And whenever the roles are reversed in marriage, a context is created 
where the enemy can infiltrate your home. I hope you take that seriously. It happened the very first couple. Marriage conflict can often be a result of role reversal. And this sin in Adam and Eve's case resulted in them hiding. There were secrets. Both parties passed blame to someone else and the disaster was for the family. There was a resulting curse. We read about it in chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 14 to 19. It was staggering. God said to Eve, listen, your husband, he shall rule over you. And this wasn't a good thing. In other words, he would seek to dominate you. There would be a, a sinful expression of your husband as a result of this sin. He would not lead lovingly. Outside of Christ, outside of his word and his commands, the only pattern man has is usually their sinful inclinations. And God's saying right at the bat, I mean, there's going to be a sinful expression man has, and it won't be to lovingly lead you. It's the consequences. There'll be pain in childbirth. There'll be consequences, a resulting curse because of their rebellion. And the desire of the woman for relationship and partnership would become a battle rather than a blessing. Unfortunately, a husband would come home expecting to be served rather than serve. And because of this role reversal, because of this conflict, Satan would get a foothold. And on top of this, Adam and Eve had to endure the murder of one son by the other. Can you imagine? Satan's infiltration of the family allowed him to build strongholds, and he'll use any means to worm his way into yours. It's a great point to remind you of this passage. Pretty much almost the whole crux of our series. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes, the Greek word methodia means he has methods for you. He has methods, specific schemes to destroy your family. Do you understand that? That's pretty serious. I mean, the enemy's just looking for a door to get in. He's looking at your interactions. He's looking at the subtleties of, of maybe personal battles and saying, how can I get in that home? That's why you and I have seen some incredibly strong Christian people who somehow, someway, compromised somewhere. The enemy started to get something in there and, and began to widen. And we stand and look and say, oh, what happened? I guarantee somewhere a door was opened. And they probably didn't even realize it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People are not your enemy. Against rulers, against authorities, cosmic forces over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in heavenly places. Again, the battle's here. It's been expanded to earth. And if we don't address what's behind what we see on earth, it's going to be a band-aid at best. Because what happens in the spiritual, invisible realm affects what happens down here. But what are causes of the family stronghold? The Word of God is it's really, really rich because it gives us three things that it ties into the enemy's schemes. Well, I like to define a stronghold just to, by way of reminder from last week. A stronghold is a mindset that sees as unchangeable that which is against the will of God. Maybe another way to put it. It's a mindset that sees the situation you're in as hopeless, that which is against the will of God. 
And so Satan erects a stronghold, and there's many, many looking at their family's dynamic, looking at their family's situation, and they're saying it's hopeless. It's hopeless. That's a stronghold. Because we know all things in Christ. We have strength. We know in Christ he's demolished strongholds. He's in the business of bringing freedom, help, and hope. But Satan does work his way into families. He seeks to. And I'm not talking about family having an occasional argument. I hate geese. Can't stand them. My wife decided it would be fun to get baby geese. Didn't sit well with me or David. We can't stand them. These geese grow, and they're a constant reminder, a thorn in my flesh. Every time I see them talking and there's stuff all over the place, I can't stand them. And, and I've thought of a lot of ways. You guys know where I'm going with this one, don't you? I've thought of a lot of ways to get rid of them geese. I really have. And so, but that's not really that big of a deal. It could be especially if I get rid of them. <laughs> but we all have occasional arguments, and it, it, I'm not talking about those occasional things or, or those things that just kind of bother us like the geese. But I'm talking about situations in which a family is imprisoned by a problem it just can't break free of. I mean, real difficulty. Tears. Quiet nights. Slamming doors. Despair. Real family strongholds. How does it happen? What are the causes of them? Well, let's look at few of the most important, the most common. First one we find is in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Now as I read this passage, I want you to read it in a context that we don't usually do. I want you to read it in the context of demonic strongholds. And when you do, it takes on new meaning. Matter of fact, I had someone, I saw posted this last week, on, on Facebook, except they left out the last part of this. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, here's what we read. Well, I'll start with verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Be tempting to stop there, wouldn't it? You say, yeah, let's not be angry. But look at the next part of the verse. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Unresolved anger opens the door and says, Satan, come on in. We wouldn't necessarily think of that as a cause, but it, oh my goodness, it is. There are a lot of angry people out there, angry at their mates, angry at their children, angry at their parents. Their prolonged anger violates the scriptural command to resolve it quickly. And it provides the ground for Satan to infiltrate your home. It provides ground Satan needs to build a stronghold. It gives the enemy an unlocked door he needs to break into your home and do his destructive work. Now for some, a week's passed and you're still angry. The saddest part, perhaps, is when that, you let that week pass to a decade when anger in your family is still unresolved. And this kind of anger makes everyone else in the family pay for what two people have done. There are Christian parents making their children pay for the anger dad and mom have towards each other. There's wives making their husbands pay for the anger they have against daddy. There are husbands making their wives pay for the anger they have against their mom or their dad. 
and there's anger in our homes, and unresolved anger opens the door, and the enemy says, thank you very much. And a stronghold's erected. Well, how do you stop the cycle of destructive family anger that allows Satan to erect a stronghold? How do you do it? Well, I think there's one practical way, and it's you know how to do it because you've probably done it. You just didn't realize. If you have a DVD or a little older VCR, I don't even know if they make those anymore. And, and when you're done watching a movie, you, you push eject. And you eject the, the movie. You eject the tape right out of there. And I would submit to you when anger comes, and you bring it to the foot of the cross, and if you were the offender, you've sought forgiveness. If you were the offended, you released. Maybe you have to write a letter or something and tell the person who offended you, say, listen, you offended me, but I'm not going to let what you did to me hold me prisoner anymore. I release you to God's judgment. God does a far greater job, by the way, than we ever could. And maybe you need to release the offender. But the enemy will bring it back up, and that's when you hit the eject button and say, no, 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 no more. You don't understand. This is under the blood. I've, I've let this go to God. He'll deal with it. And the enemy will br keep bringing it up, but you push the eject button and you don't, you don't act upon it. Unresolved anger, you need to deal with it. It'll destroy your family. Satan's tearing apart a lot of families because people aren't willing to come to terms with their anger. And they'll justify it. I have every right to be angry. You don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. No, I don't. I know what Christ did. And he has brought forgiveness, healing, and hope. So come to Christ with it and fight for your family. Deal with the unresolved anger. But there's other causes. Second cause is rebellion. We, should, we shouldn't be surprised because rebellion began in the heavenlies, right? Came down to earth. But the Bible has a lot to say. Rebellion is simply going against God's established order of authority. Satan's the original re rebel, so it's not surprising he attempts to sow rebellion in the family. Now, there are a lot of scripture that talk about rebellion. I want you to jot down 2 Peter 2. We're not going to have time to read that. But boy, what an interesting passage. It talks about the rebellion of people over time and how that rebellion um, relates to the angelic realm. In, case, in all the cases, it talks about this, the importance and the judgment of rebellion. Rebellious children can tear families apart. So can adults who refuse to submit themselves to God's legitimate chain of command and, and commands. Exodus 25 says God would pass on the results of disobedience to the third and the fourth generations, if they're not careful. In other words, there would be set a series of events in place by rebellion. Parents and grandparents can hand children a real mess when they rebel against God's authority and they don't repent. That pattern needs to be reversed. And it's going to take someone to say, I'm coming to Jesus Christ, finding forgiveness and deliverance, and I'm starting a new path for my family. Without Christ, there is no reversal of generational strongholds. And whenever you see rebellion against God's legitimate chain of command, you find God's judgment, not his help. Don't think God's going to help you in your rebellion. Don't think you can continually violate God's commands and say, oh, God, help me out of this pickle. God said, no, apparently you seem to think you can handle it yourself. You go right ahead. Because you're not getting my help if you're going to rebel against my commands. Rebellious children need to be brought under authority or they'll eventually cause real problems. If a husband fathers rebelling against the authority of Christ in his life and his home, can't blame God if the family's falling apart. 
to get things back on track, you must line yourself up under God's authority. Woman who is brought into the lie of radical feminism and refuses to respect her husband's position of authority is allowing Satan to build a stronghold of rebellion in her family. To help break the stronghold, you and I need to operate under God's design. 1 Corinthians 11 has an example, a unique one. We wouldn't think of this one in regard to spiritual warfare, but it, it has an interesting clause in it. The context is Paul's talking about very messed up, immoral church. And when they came together, it was a free-for-all. And he's talking about a situation in here that outlines God's chain of authority. He says in verse 3, I want you to understand, he says, that the, the head of every man is Christ. Man's under Christ's authority, okay? The head of every wife is her husband. The wife finds her protection under the husband's headship. And the head of Christ is God. In other words, even Christ submitted to the Father in his plan. And so there's a principle here of authority. And Paul's laying it down before he gets into a situation in the church about a woman uh, who were, they were speaking and they, they didn't have their head covering in their corporate gatherings. In that particular context, it was a sign of rebellion against authority. Now notice what verse 10. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. You're like, what? I mean, what does that have to do? What does a woman's head covering have to do with angels? Everything. This act of rebellion was not just against God, ordained authority. It was also carried out in the presence of angels. That's what Paul's saying. You're like, whoa, that's, this is crazy. In other words, what Paul, I think, is getting to, anyone who showed that the angels, anyone who showed the angels that she was rebelling against God's authority could not count on angelic assistance in her life or her home because she was rebelling. And God wasn't going to bring blessing to the rebellion. He wasn't going to give angelic assistance as the angels watched on. And that's why he says, this is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her, because of the angels, because they're watching and you won't receive assistance. Talked several weeks ago about angelic assistance. No angelic assistance to face the conflict. Why? Because angels function under authority, as we should. So the angels watched as Paul's concern was people not functioning under the design of authority. Rebellion's a serious sins in God's eyes. In this case, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, the women Paul's referring to reflected their rebellion by removing their coverings. The sign of rebellion to God and man, but also it was in the midst of angels, and when we rebel, it's in the midst of angels as well. And that's why re re rebellion is serious in God's eyes. It can lead to demonic strongholds. There's only one way to deal with rebellion, remove it like a cancer. It must be addressed. And only in Christ can we find forgiveness and deliverance and hope from rebellion by coming to him. There's a third cause. So we got two significant causes, unresolved anger and rebellion. But there's a third one, selfishness. Go to 1 Corinthians 7. Again, this is a, there's a principle behind here, principle behind what Paul's instructing. He's giving principles for marriage. Okay, so, so he's talking to these couples, and he says several things about the order and how it should be. And then he says in verse 5, the principle, first of all, he says, let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife, and vice versa. It applies to the couple's sexual life, but also to other areas of their marriage and family. 
Because when people become selfish, they begin to withhold from their partner that self-giving love that should mark their marriage. And so he says in verse 5, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again. Look what happens if they don't. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of control. Look at that. When, when, when we, this couple operates in selfishness, and they, they refuse to serve one another. In this case, it's sexually, but you could say emotionally and relationally in, in other ways. It opens the door for the enemy. Displaying selfishness is like saying, Satan, come on in. I'm going to deprive my partner of the encouragement they need. I'm going to deprive my children of what they need. I'm going to just do whatever I want to do. Come right in. We open the door. You can unlock door through things like unresolved anger, rebellion, and selfishness. And the devil's infiltrated far too many homes because of these causes. And you might say, wait a minute, mommy taught me this. This is how mom taught me how to live. Well, if it's not in line with God's word, your mommy's wrong. So is your dad. If it's not aligning with God's word, you need to realign your life according to God's word. If not, you're opening the door. You might say, I'm trying. It's just not working. Problem is, you may be trying the wrong thing. <laughs> we talked about using your spiritual weapons. Go through that message again to affect, affect family strongholds or to attack family strongholds. Don't use the world's methods and sprinkle a little Jesus on it and think you're going to find victory. Use the spiritual armor provided for you in Christ. And oh, what armor it is as we went through it. It's so rich. God's got a plan for you, and we have a little inkling, and God's give us a snapshot of how Satan can get involved, get into our lives, and how he can get a wedge in our homes and get a stronghold. Unresolved anger, rebellion, selfishness being three of them. Three we don't often take that seriously. Well, how do we tear down these family strongholds? There's three potent weapons. And I want you to look at these like an umbrella. What a good day to talk about an umbrella. You get an umbrella and, and you go outside and it doesn't stop the rain but stops it from pouring on you. And, and God's word, specifically what we're going to talk about, these weapons, are the umbrella. And they'll, they'll keep you safe. It won't stop all the hardship in the world. It won't stop Satan raining on, on things around you, but it will protect you. But there's the warning. If you go outside that umbrella, it's going to rain on you. You're going to feel it. And so stay under the umbrella. And the way to stay under the umbrella, first and foremost, is by proper marital roles. We don't need a lot of introduction here. The strength of the family bond begins with the strength of the marriage bond. Colossians 3, I'll use the applications right out of here. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Starts with the husband and wife relationship. Wives, honor your husband's position of leadership. The whole text here in all of Ephesians as well really talks about this idea of, of wives. You're not a doormat. That's not at all what it's talking about. It's, it's coming alongside your husband's loving leadership. Not getting ahead of it, not lagging behind. It's coming alongside it. 
The wife might say, I don't like my husband right now. You don't have to like him to honor the position. You don't have to like the person to honor the position. God's put him in. God calls you to honor your husband whether you agree with him or not. And when a woman operates this way, according to Peter, it's precious in God's sight. Maybe you're a wife here and you need to repent of your rebellious attitude toward your husband's authority. Why is this such a big deal? What's our culture missing out on? Well, first of all, it reflects God's established order. When you rebel against his design, there's problems. Second, we're talking about spiritual warfare and satanic strongholds. We're not just talking about a bad day. There's a lot here at stake. We need God's weapons to live in freedom. We need to stay under the umbrella. But the Bible addresses husbands. says, husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. Don't be harsh with them. Way too many husbands have an attitude problem. Some think their wife's a genie in a bottle that magically appears to bow down to them and say, your wish is my command. Wives, that's your husband. Hit him with the bottle. Just kidding. Because that's not what Scripture says. We're supposed to love them sacrificially. And you say, oh, well, how do I know whether I'm loving my wife? It's really quite simple. What are you sacrificing for her? That's biblical love. If you're not sacrificing anything, you're not loving her. You can call it something, you can call it whatever you want, and not love, because love sacrifices. So at the end of the day, make sure you've put more deposits than withdrawals in your wife's account, in her emotional, spiritual account. Ask yourself, have I encouraged her? How have I encouraged her? How have I loved her? Have I built her up or have I drained her today? Which one did you do? If you built her up, if you put more in her account than you took out, good job. There's some sacrifice involved then. Our wives need emotional and spiritual nourishment. They need our love. They need our attention. They need our help. So husbands, make an effort to make those deposits in your wife's account Love her sacrificially. If you do not love your wife sacrificially, you're opening a door. You're walking out from underneath that umbrella. There's going to be problems. The second way we can stay under God's umbrella is proper parenting. It's a second weapon to attack strongholds. And I would say, Dad and Mom, don't make your kids pay for your sin. Don't make them, make them pay for your attitude. Don't discourage them. Encourage your children. Verse 21 Colossians 3 makes it really, really clear. 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't discourage them. Don't run them down. Don't put them in a bad position of having to say, hey, Dad, you're telling me this, but God says this. What a horrible place for a child to have to be in. What a decision a child has to make. Don't do that to your child. Encourage them. Tell them what possibilities they have in Christ. Model the word to them. Give them all the love and support they need to find God's will and his calling. And I would say bathe them in prayer. Cover them with compassion. Don't leave your kids to the culture to raise. Culture doesn't care about your kids. I hope you'll fight for them. It's on you, dad and mom. Be a proper parent. We're never going to be perfect. Ask my kids. <laughs> Our kids will be quick to point it out, right? We'll never be perfect. But pursue following God's commands and cover your children. And when you do that, you protect your family from strongholds. Number three, kids, everything's been pretty good for you, right? And sitting here letting dad and mom get hammered, feeling good? Well, don't feel too good because verse 20 says, Children, 
Uh-oh. Obey your parents in everything. Did you catch those two words? In everything. This pleases the Lord. I mean, how simple is that, kids? You want to know how to please God? Obey dad and mom. And there's, there's no but here. It's just in all things. Obey mom and dad. And the best antidote to rebellion is obedience. This isn't something parents can begin teaching when their kids are teenagers. Children need to be taught early to honor and obey their parents. Kids, you have a role in this. Maybe you didn't realize it. You and your rebellion, should you rebel, could open the door to Satan to come in your home and get a stronghold. It's not all dad and mom, kids. There's a little on you here to seek to walk in obedience. I hope you pay attention to that. Don't let Satan use you children, and parents, don't let Satan use your children to build a stronghold in your home. Just like there's some dads here who need to repent, just like there's some moms who need to repent, there's some children here who need to repent through your rebellion. Good, we're in a good place to repent. We're going to get a chance to do that in a minute. We're in a war. And although some of us haven't started fighting with God's weapons yet, you can fight for your family starting today. But don't quit. Keep pressing on. In this series, I've really hoped to wake us all up to the reality that know it or like it or not, you and I are in a war. And we be begin to live, if we're in a war, we need to because we are. My ultimate goal has been to free, that you and I would see that this war in which we are engaged is first and foremost the Lord's battle, it's not ours. And it's, I, I think I've repeated it enough, hopefully, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. Christ has already defeated the works of the enemy. We already are victorious in Christ. The goal is to live that reality out each day. We can do that in Christ. God says in Christ, you're a new person in Christ. We're told in Scripture, he's provided you all you need to live victoriously. So stand firm in Christ. That's what we can do. Stand firm, Paul said. It means don't move. Stand firm in the victory that's already yours. And you're going to walk out the door today. Maybe you'll experience it tomorrow. The reality of this battle is all around you. And I just want to remind you of this this morning. Greater is he who is within you than he who is within this world. Let me pray for you. Father, it'd be easy to look at your word and, and be fearful. And say this enemy's too strong, he's too big. But Lord, we look at the cross and we look at the empty tomb. We, looked at the trans we look at the transformed lives throughout generations after generation after generation. And we praise you for the victory we have in you. Thank you, God, we fight from position of victory. And thank you that ultimately the battle's yours, not ours. And Lord, specifically this morning we've talked about the family. And God, I want to pray for each home here. For each husband. Each dad. Draw them to yourself. Draw them to your word. If repentance is needed, God, I pray that in their heart, even this moment, they'd be acknowledging their sin before you and turning away from it and turning towards you. 
Lord, for any wives here, any moms, who your Holy Spirit's tugging on their hearts and there needs to be repentance, Lord, I pray for them, that they'd have the courage to do that as well. Lord, there's children in the house here who may be rebelling against their parents' authority. Maybe this morning is a wake-up call for them. I pray for them that they too would come in repentance and find forgiveness and freedom. Jesus, you can tear down any stronghold in any life and any home. And we pray and I pray in the name of Jesus Christ you would come into each home. Bring freedom, bring hope. Bring a new dynamic of spiritual life. That each home here would praise you, bring worship to you, and God would be a light to a generation that desperately needs to see there's hope. And none of this can happen in ourselves. And so I pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.